It's my joy to open the Word of God. We come to a key section. Would you look at it with me? Follow along as I read it in Ephesians 5, just 15 through 17, to set the table in the weeks and months to come. Here Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. May God bless his reading of Scripture. I mean, look carefully. Don't play the fool and discover the Lord's will. That's the essence of where we're going even this morning. Now, the purpose, as you step into the text here, just a little bit of uh, platform work with you, uh, the purpose of 5, 15, actually through 21, is to walk in wisdom. You can see it there in 5.15, be carefully how then you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He's on a walk of wisdom. That's the the essence, the, the direction here. And we're to walk in wisdom because we live in evil days. What's interesting, when you're studying the Bible and even here, this section of a wise walk, I won't present it this way every week, really runs from 515 all the way down through chapter 6, verse 9, and then we launch into a a new section. I mean, we'll break it up, but it runs that way. Now, as as I read this scripture, I think this is the fifth time that he's told us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You remember he mentioned that, and as he launched into this practical section. I say practical. He always moves from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. Orthodoxy in the the first three chapters of what we believe to the orthopraxy of how we live that out from our duty, if you will, to our practice is where he's going. But he told us there in 4.1, walk in a manner, manner worthy of the gospel. He told us in 4.17, I say to you and testify to the Lord that you must, in a negative way, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. He mentions the word walk a third time. Look in 5.2, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. If you glance down in chapter 5, 8, he says there at the end of verse 8, walk as children of light. Now, he says here in 15, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It's the fifth time here. And so here, this ideal of walking wisely has to do with the time that's before us. And I would say that there is a sense of urgency that Paul has in these scriptures before us. And there is an urgency in the scriptures regarding time. Think of the statements in other parts of the word of God when it said the night is gone. And he's speaking metaphorically there. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, 
Not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and even jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Time is critical. And it's critical because the writer of James said in 4.14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James said, you are just a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. I mean, this is the testimony of the scripture. Time is short. Life is brief. Proverbs 27, 1 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Life is short. Time is crucial. In fact, I won't take you through all of it, but I think in the Word of God, there's at least 18 metaphors in the Bible that express the brevity of life. For example, in Psalm 103, verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes, but when the wind has passed over it, it is no more. Life is like a flower, it rises and then the wind comes and it's gone. In fact, Job said in 7-7, remember my life, he said, is but a breath. In Job 8-9, he said, we are only of yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth, he said, are like a shadow. Job said in chapter 9, verse 25, my days are swifter than a runner, and they, they just flee away. They go by like skiffs of reed, just like little reed boats in the water. Life just kind of moves on. Job said in Job 14, verse 1, man is born of women, it is few of days, and full of trouble, like he said there, life is like a flower that comes forth and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Many different metaphors on the brevity and the shortness of life. In fact, Shakespeare said, if you have followed English literature in Macbeth, he said, out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. Time is quick. David said this in 1 Chronicles 29, 15, our days on earth are like a shadow. The psalmist said in 89, verse 46, remember how short my time is. I mean, there's just, it goes on. David in Psalm 102, verse 11, my days are like an evening shadow and I wither away like the grass. So human life, beloved, is a shadow. It's a breath. It's, it's a vapor. It's transitory. It's a passing shadow. Two weeks ago, uh, I think it was Easter, a man came up to me in our church and we were just talking about the sermon and he said, Pastor Scott, what can I do to be a godly man? It's a great question. I was holding his precious little baby, brand new, and 
He just said, Pastor Scott, what can I do to be a godly man and what does that look like? I said, that's a great question and we're going to unpack that in two weeks to come. And so here we are. Here we are on this walk of wisdom that moves into the filling of the Spirit, that moves into mutual submission, that moves into the roles of husbands and wives, that moves into the role of children and their duty, and then parents and their responsibility, as well as workers. This is going to be some of the greatest time we've had at Grace Church of the Valley. There, in many ways, it's taken us this point to build the framework, and the most exciting days are coming. And it really begins at this point in 515, to walk not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most, maybe you're familiar with the phrase, redeeming the time because of the days are evil. So he tells us to walk in wisdom, but you say, how? And he says there's three commands here that make this possible. Look carefully, okay? Don't play the fool and discover the Lord's will. Let's look at those commands. And you say, why did you outline it that way? Because that's the way that Paul outlined it. There's three imperative commands here, and that's just will be our simple outline for the text. But first command is this, look carefully. Look back at 5.15. He says there, look carefully then how you walk. Now, he switches the, the, the language here from walking in light, which was in 8 through 14 of chapter 5, to walking here in wisdom. Now, that opening phrase is, is key. Look carefully then. It looks back, that word then is in another translation, it's the word therefore. So it goes back to 5, 8 through 14 to walk in the light, if you will. And then he told us, look at verse 14, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So look carefully then how you walk. And so he takes us from walking in the lights here to walking in wisdom. Now, as you glance down at your text, again, to build this, the word look is a, is a command there. It is an imperative command, and it's the ideal of consider this, watch this. Maybe it's even better we're looking at the word look in the ESV but I like the word, be aware. In other words, you need to walk in the light, but you need to walk in wisdom, and you need to be very aware of what's before you. In fact, it's, uh, it, the thought there is you say, why would I need to be aware? Look back at chapter 5, verse 3. Because of this, because of the sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. You need to be careful. Look at verse 4. He says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You need to be careful in this day. That's the thought. Look at verse 5. He said, be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous 
is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. You need to be very, very careful. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. For take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So as Paul's writing and he's putting pen to the parchment, and as he's under the very breath and inspiration of God, he gives you this command to, to be aware to, to, to be watchful. And, and the, the, the verb here in this command is in the present tense. To keep on watching. To keep on being aware is the thought. In fact, that word is used in Mark 13 verse 33 where Jesus is beginning to unpack the end of the world. And he says there, be on guard. Here's the thought. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. So be ready for his second coming. Now, look again at the text, and and I won't get so tedious as we go, but look again at 5.15. He says in 5.15 to look, and then he uses this word carefully. In other words, be aware, and the thought here is as you look, you need to investigate Carefully is with detail. It's the idea here of precision and even accuracy. Look carefully, the thought would be with exactness. Look with alertness, if you will. Look diligently. In other words, Grace Church, you're not coasting, you're not drifting. You're watching, you're examining everything carefully. You say, well, what are you looking at? Well, look at the text. It's there in 5.15, as you can see. He says, look carefully then how, he says, you walk. Now, we've already mentioned that word five times. You could paraphrase it if you want to write it in your notes. Be carefully how you live is the thought. Be careful of your lifestyle. And, And again, here, it's in the present tense. He's telling you this morning on May 1st, 2022 to to walk in this way carefully in the present tense to obey the Lord. You are walking, if you will, beloved, you know this, in a minefield. I mean, it was hard for me to believe the bill that just came out in California that we can now abort babies after they're born. It's almost even hard to let it come out of my mouth. We can terminate children after they come out of the womb. And evidently that's okay and it was, it was supported. Listen, you're walking in a minefield. And he's saying to us, listen, you need to be very, very careful. How do I walk? Well, look at the text again in 515. You're walking not as unwise, but as wise. Now, you're to walk in wisdom. You say, well, what is that? What is Paul getting at when he tells us to walk wise? What is wisdom? Well, uh, go back in Ephesians just for a second. In Ephesians chapter 1, I don't think it's so easy just to say what that is because the Bible is full of what wisdom is. I, I would at least say that wisdom begins here. When it says in 1-7, in him we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which is lavished upon us, here in 1.8, do you see it there? In all wisdom and insight. So what is wisdom? Wisdom certainly, as one aspect in this book, is the doctrine of salvation. Wisdom is the way that God orchestrated that in the mind and the heart of the triune God from all eternity, giving and lavishing upon you the grace that is full of wisdom. In fact, we are already wise in one sense at salvation. Second Timothy, Paul said in 3.15 that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So wisdom is bound up in the person of God, bound up in the character of God, revealed in the doctrine of salvation, which he lavished his grace upon us. But it's more than that. Look over at chapter 1 in verse 17. He says there, as he's praying that the God, in 117, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. So wisdom begins at salvation, but as Paul begins to unfold his prayer He's praying that God would give us a spirit of wisdom to know the greatness of our salvation and particularly the knowledge of God. So wisdom's given in salvation. It's, we're commanded, though, to grow in that wisdom to understand the plan of God. But there's more. It is a, a practical wisdom. Wisdom, I think you would go to immediately on that thought, is lived out. And there would be truth there. Jesus kept increasing in Luke 2.52 in what? Wisdom. So even he was increasing in wisdom. Beloved, let me say this for a simple definition. Wisdom as well is the skill of living. It's the skill of living obediently based off our salvation, with an ever-increasing knowledge of God, and in the midst of the evil day, we're living out the wisdom of God. In fact, look back at chapter 5 and verse 10. Here is wisdom. After he tells us in 5.9 that the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, here's wisdom, verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's a walk of wisdom. Your heart, your passion, your desire is ever pleasing to him. So wisdom then, in one sense, is knowledge of God lived out by the Holy Spirit's power to make you a wise high school student, to make you a wise mother, to make you a wise father, to give you wisdom as a grandparent. And I think I would say this, that wisdom in the scripture is bound up in the knowledge of God, but it leads always to transformation. 
So here is the command to look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, Paul tells you how to do that. Look at the text in 5.15. And you've seen this phrase before. Actually, it's in verse 16. You make the best use of the time because the days are evil. In the one, maybe you grew up memorizing, you're redeeming the time. Or here, making the best use of the time. You're purchasing time. You're buying time. You're redeeming time. Now the question would come, and I don't mean to be uh, too in-depth here, when he says here in verse 16, the use of time, what kind of time is he uh, talking about? Well, you just, you know, your mind starts to move. There's a lot of different words in the Greek language for time. One of them is hemera, which means day, okay? He doesn't use that one. He's not talking about aura, which speaks of an hour. Sometimes there's another word called ion, which speaks of an age. There's another kind of time called chronos, think you would we would get that chronologically where time is presented in terms of minutes and hours and seconds that's not the word he uses another term here called kairos making the best use of kairos making the best use of time what is that paul is addressing here for you the opportunities that are before you not chronological time, like how productive am I in my day, but that you would walk wise, not be foolish, but be wise, that you would make the best use of your opportunity that is before you. I think the thought would be make the most of an opportunity. Now, what's fascinating here is that we know in Scripture that God is sovereign, He is, but the command here is to maximize and take full advantage of every opportunity. And there's an urgency to it. You know, they tell us in ancient Greek literature that there was a statue, if you could just picture this. It depicted a man. It's a statue. And the man had wings on his feet and on the front of his uh, face was a large lock of hair that kind of was on the front of his head. And then there was no hair at all on the back. And beneath the inscription, it read this, What is thy name? And it said, My name is Opportunity. And the question came, Why hast thou wings on thy feet? And the answer was that I may fly away swiftly. Why hast thou a great forelock? That, the answer went on, that men may seize me when I come. Why art thou bald in the back? And the inscription said that when I am gone by, none can lay hold of me. In other words, you only have so many opportunities 
And if the opportunity passes by, there's nothing to catch on in that inscription. And I think we would say, you have opportunities before you. Don't miss it. Buy it. Redeem it. You say, well, why would I do that? Look at the text again. It's there. He says in verse 16, he says, because the days are evil. In other words, we live in a dark, evil world, and it's troubling, it's disastrous, it's the, the ideal of evil, it's wretched, certainly in the context because of the immorality, the impurity, the greed. And he's speaking here, not just of the days, like a physical day, he's referring here to evil people, evil thoughts, evil deeds. I mean, how do a group of men and women legislate the murder of a child? I I mean, these are the evil days in which we live in. In fact, Paul prayed in Galatians 1.4 that God would deliver us from this present evil age. So listen, you're breathing in here. You're listening to me. You're calling yourself a believer, and Paul's saying, look carefully, be aware, be on the alert here, and you need to redeem the time. How are you doing with your time? I still find it striking that in Jonathan Edwards' resolves, you know, he had the number of resolves, and he wrote those resolves when the best I can tell, he was either 19 or 20, but one of them was to never lose one moment of time. you got to use it wisely. How do you use your time? How's your prayer life? How's your reading of the Scripture? How's your service in the body of Christ? Maybe some of you have prayed over adopting a child. Maybe you've thought about starting a ministry. Maybe you've prayed about getting involved in a ministry. Listen, you have kairos before you. And Paul, I don't care who you are, you say, oh, I'm, I'm single, or I, I'm, I'm a young woman in this place, or I, I'm married. Listen, what Paul is saying, listen, he's saying not only do you need to, to, to walk in the light, but you need to walk in wisdom. You need to buy up the opportunities. You need to witness to people. I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago we traveled from Kingsburg down to Santa Clarita, and then we left our car somewhere and got an Uber. And uh, the guy showed up in Santa Clarita, and he showed up. It was kind of interesting in a Tesla. So he's an Uber driver. He doesn't pay a penny of gas. And he picks me up, and I think we got a little bit of a larger car because we were taking a kind of a, a bend to the Zellers, and I said, I don't think you're going to be able to get this in. And he goes, oh, no, 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 we're going to make it. And so we had to use the back seat for some of the luggage, and Patty sat there, and then I sat in the front seat with him. And I've got a kairos of time with this guy in the Tesla, and I'm paying for the trip, right? So I, I, I thought his name was Muhammad. It wasn't. It was another name uh, close to that. And, uh, and I began to talk with him. And I found out that he's Egyptian. He's from Egypt. Really neat guy. And began to ask him about his life, his background. He told me his mother was uh, Greek. Uh, 
I said, I'm Greek, you know, and so we begin to talk, but I'm, I'm driving, we're on our way to LAX, and I got Kairos, and I said, hey, tell me about your background, are you Orthodox, Egyptian, are you a Muslim, and so we begin the conversation, and, and you say, well, why, Be- because I was studying this passage, and I think I got to say something to this guy. And so the whole way down, I got a captive audience. He's taking me, and I'm just dialoguing with him in the front seat. And I can tell that he's lived a kind of a, I don't know if it's a Hugh Hefner life. And he began to tell me, I just, I'm trying to be good, but I just feel guilty. And I don't know why I feel guilty. I said, well, I can tell you exactly why you feel guilty. I said, you feel guilty because according to the book of Romans chapter 2, God has given you a conscience and you have been made by a creator who gave you this conscience that's operating in your heart and the reason you feel that is because you're not obeying the scripture. And I begin to have an opportunity there to begin to unfold the person of Christ to him. Maybe that's a beginning point of what this looks like. Doesn't count my wife sharing with another man on the plane on the way home, very accomplished man in his uh, practice. And uh, listen, how about you? This is what Paul is saying. Listen, this, your, your life, we sang, we're aliens, we're strangers. God's put you here. He's given you resources. He's given you a business. He's put a neighbor around you. He's put little kids on your block. And he's saying to us, here, listen, as you move forward, I I want you to walk not as unwise, but as unwise. You say, how do I do that? I'm telling you. I'm asking you. I'm commanding you. Are you buying up the opportunities that are before you? Okay? So here's wisdom. Seize the opportunity. Look carefully. Secondly, keep going. Don't play the fool. Don't play the fool. It's there in verse um, 17. Therefore, do not, and you can kind of tell, it's another command. Do not be foolish. Do not be senseless. It's not the exact word for um, unwise, but it's, it's, it's close, but that's what it means. Do not lack judgment is the, is the thought. You say, is this a command to a believer? What do you, what do you mean, don't be foolish? How can, how can a believer be foolish? And I guess I would just be, of course it's for us. Why would he command somebody who's unregenerate not to be foolish? He's telling me, he's telling you, he's commanding you, me, to not be unwise and lack judgment. This is a command actually for believers. And sometimes, you would understand, we are foolish. In fact, you say, well, how so? Well, look back just at 5.6. Let no one, it says there, deceive you. There's false teachers. He says, don't let anybody deceive you. Look at in verse 8 where he says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so the, the, acts, the thought is, walk as children of the light. 
Look at verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. Don't you do this in secret. So I think he's just telling us to not squander away opportunities. In Proverbs, fools, like, like I'm just, it, it's not like we're relieved from it. I, I sometimes think that we think that God regenerated us, saved us. We came to know Christ, and then from there forevermore, it's all grace, and it is all grace. But somehow, the Spirit of God is telling you to look carefully, and don't be foolish. Don't waste the opportunities. In the book of Proverbs, fools, and I'm using that word, are lazy, 24 verse 30, lazy, Fools have, at least according to Proverbs 18, 6, and 7, an uncontrolled tongue. Fools, according to Proverbs 6, 12, lie. Fools, according to Proverbs 10, 18, slander. They quarrel in chapter 20. They're quick-tempered in chapter 14. They're proud in 13. They hate knowledge in chapter 1. And they despise advice. They despise correction, Proverbs 12, 1, and generally they're just careless. You say, do we have any biblical stories of uh, people with wasted opportunities and fools? Oh, yes, too many to think through, but I'll give you a short grocery list. Adam was foolish and compromised God's clear command, followed his wife's sin, and brought the entire world into sin. Sarah compromised God's word, sent, if you will, Abraham into Hagar, who bore Ishmael, and that destroyed the Middle East up until today, and will continue to do that. Think of Moses, who was foolish, and he disobeyed God's command by striking the rock, and he failed to enter into the promised land. These are all examples, aren't they? Samson, of course compromised, was foolish, was impure with a woman, lost his strength, lost his eyesight, and lost his wife, according to Judges 16. Don't be foolish. Saul compromised King Saul by sparing the animals of his enemy, and he lost his kingdom. David was foolish and compromised by committing adultery with Bathsheba. Then he had Uriah murdered. Then he lost his infant son. Then he saw the sword never depart from his family. I think this is what Paul's talking about. So listen, if you're brand new to us today, if you're visiting, you can see why there's a sense of intensity with what we're doing here. We never want to get too comfortable. And we want to rest in God's sufficient grace in Christ, who's the anchor of my soul. But I'm telling you, by the authority of the Word of God, you need to look carefully. And you don't need to be foolish. Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived, compromised his impurity, married foreign wives, and lost his kingdom in 1 Kings chapter 11. I could go on. Demas, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.10, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Are there people who just don't come here anymore? Maybe you need to reach out to some of them, but we see this in the New Testament. Some just desert, you know, desert the Lord. James would say, if it, the shoe fits, wear it, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility 
toward God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I mean, just think of all the people who were foolish when Noah was building a boat for, was it 120 years? And they thought, what is this clown doing? Then the door shut and down came the rain that had never fallen on the sky. And he, I'm sure he amongst the eight looked like he was the wisest man, but the world was lost because they weren't prepared. Think of Achan who was told not to steal anything under the ban. The walls came down. He goes in. He takes the shiny mantle, the, the, the objects. He comes back into his tent, buries them. He thinks nobody sees him. And God begins to expose his sin as they went out and got defeated in Ai. Listen, I, I'm not trying to be a lightning rod to you. But Paul is saying you need to look carefully. And he, I think just gently shepherding us. You're here in the hearing of the word of God. Don't be foolish. You may be in junior high this morning and you're beginning to pick your friends or on your way to high school, you better pick your friends wisely. Young women, you better date a godly man and godly men, you need to date a godly woman. You need to not be foolish. You can't date the dead. Or as I used to tell my five girls, you don't ever date someone on potential. You date godly men. You date godly women. And so listen, I think he's saying, just be wise. Look carefully. Don't be foolish. I mean, don't be like the guy in Luke 12. Do you remember that? The land of a certain rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, you remember that, what shall I do? Listen to the personal pronouns. For I have nowhere to store all my crops he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will say, uh, he says, there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years to come. Remember, he said, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, one word, what? Fool. Now listen, lest you think it's Luke 12, that might be you. I have to look at my own profession of pastors making unwise choices, but don't play the fool. Obey the scripture, walk in the light, walk in wisdom, seek his face. He said that night is this very night your soul is required of you and who will own the things that you have prepared whose will they be so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Listen, you need to be, I need to be rich toward God. Don't slip back. Beloved, I'm just admonishing you, loving you. Don't be foolish. The greatest opportunity of, or the greatest wasted opportunity, I would think would have to be one other character in the scripture, in scripture is Judas. He's the most tragic case of the greatest opportunity that any human being ever had to walk and follow the Lord Jesus Christ for three years, at least most of those years, in, the, in this world, three years with the God of glory, in this world, three years, walking night and day with the King of glory, walking with the second person of the Trinity, watching miracle after miracle, hearing the word profoundly come out of his 
mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, hearing him, watching him as the Savior and the judge, and then he squandered all of his opportunity. Unbelievable. So I think Paul, you understand, he's going to just say here, look carefully, don't play the fool, and then thirdly and finally, you say, what can I do, Scott? Well, discover the Lord's will. Look at verse 17. He says there, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And just stop there for a second. Everybody wants to know what God's will is. How do I know God's will? Um, well, maybe the first thing I would say here, he's not talking about God's will. So what's he talking about? Look at it closely in verse 17. It's interesting. Understand what the will of the who? The Lord is. So sometimes it refers in Scripture to God's will. But this is actually the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose it's the same thing at the end of the day, but it is speaking of God's will. But here it's the Lord's will. You say, well, how do I know it's the Lord's will? Well, I think he said in 5.8, at one time you were darkness, but now you're light. He said, in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 10, he said, trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It's curios. He said at the end of verse 14, and Christ will shine on you. You say, well, then what, do you, what does he mean here to discover the Lord's will? Well, I guess I would have to simply go back to all the things I've been preaching on. He's saying, if you want to be on the Lord's will, then you need to put off the old man in 422. You need to put on the new man in 424. The Lord's will is that you renew your mind daily is the thought. You need to imitate God in 5.1. You need to walk in love as Christ loved us. You need to live out holiness in 5.3 through 7. That verse 5.10 is so good as trying to discern and trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You need to walk wise. You need to redeem time. But what's interesting, look at it again in 5.17. He says, understand, and the thought there is comprehend, perceive into, gain insight into what the Lord's will is. So you say, well, Scott, what is and how do I discern and comprehend and understand the Lord's will? Well, let me just give you three simple ways. Nothing, you know, so profound on this. Certainly, it's not a feeling you feel like you're going to get when you feel like that feeling's coming. Here's how you could know the Lord's will through the Word of God, through the Word of God. So what do you mean by that? Well, I just spoke at a men's conference yesterday with Paul Washer on being a godly man in ungodly times, and I did Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. If you want to know the will of God, then put your nose, your eyes in the book, your ears in the book, because it's out of the word of God, out of a renewed mind, that we understand God's will. Think of the book of Proverbs in 2, 1 through 9. My son, this is a father with his arm around his son. My son, if you accept my words 
if you store up my commands within you, if you apply your heart to understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. For the Lord gives, what? Wisdom. And from his mouth, from the scripture, come knowledge and understanding. It says a lot more in Proverbs 4. So you got to be in the word of God to discern and understand the will of the Lord. Secondly, you need to be praying. Praying, of course, in Ephesians 1 Ephesians 3, Colossians 1.10, for since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, Paul said, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so we are studying God's word. We're praying for people, the knowledge of, of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And thirdly, just to mention a final one, there's more, but through holiness, through holiness, through sanctification, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You cannot be, beloved, in the will of God if you're presently living in a physical, sinful, unholy relationship. You say, well, Scott, I want to please the Lord. No, you don't. If you want to please the Lord and you want to be in the will of God, then the will of God, at least as this is your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. So listen, the Lord's going to grant wisdom here. You'll discover the, the, the will of God, the will of the Lord through the word of God, through prayer, through holiness. And it's interesting, look down again at 517. It says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And when it says understand and discover is that third command, it's in the present tense. Isn't that interesting? You never arrive, you never come to a holy hop, you never come to some spiritual elite place, you don't get some charismatic jump, you don't enter into a place where you're just constantly filled with the Spirit. We'll look at that next week after Mother's Day. No. Your, your, your present tense, praying this morning to discover, if you will, the will of the Lord and grasp what is pleasing to the Lord. Listen to a, a little Puritan paperback. It's by John Engel James. It's called The Christian's Father's Present to His Children. He made some remarkable statements. He said, it is the most precious thing in the world, speaking of time, he can give us but a moment of time, but he does not with ever, without ever promising another as if to teach us highly to value and diligently to improve it. It might stir us up to diligence and improvement of our time to think how much it has been already misspent. He said, I'm not trying to bring guilt to us, but what days and weeks and months and years have already been wasted or exhausted upon trifles totally unworthy of them. They are gone and we cannot call them back. Listen, I, listen I'm just glad you're here today. There's a lot of people who just come every other week, every third week. Thanks for being in the hearing of the word of God. And I, and I think that our heart here is we ever want you to use your time wisely. Here's the prayer in Psalm 39. Lord, make me to know my end. This is his prayer. 
Make me to know the extent of my days. He's praying, let me know, Lord, how transient I am. Behold, thou hast made me as handbreadths. You say, what's a handbreadth? It's just like the span of a thumb to a, a, a pinky finger. It's just a span, a short span of time. He says, and my lifetime is nothing in thy sight. Surely every man is at best a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. And then remember Moses' great prayer, and we're all done here. As for my days of our life, Psalm 90, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. For soon it is gone, and we just fly away. So remember what Moses prayed in Psalm 90, 12. Teach us to number our, what? Days. Not our years, but our days. Why? That we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Praise God. Would you bow your head?